This morning's reading um, comes from Numbers chapter 22, if you are in a shed Bible, that's on page 145, um, unless you happen to have one of the large print Bibles, because accessibility tools are for all of us, hooray, um, then that's at uh, 222. And I read from Numbers. Then the Israelites, they traveled to the plains of Moab, and they camped along the Jordan across from Jericho. Now, Balak, son of Zippor, he had seen all that Israel had done to the Amorites. And Moab was terrified because there was just so many people. Moab was filled with dread because of the Israelites. So the Moabites said to the elders of Midian, this horde, they are going to lick up everything around us, just like an ox licks up the grass of the field. So Balak, son of Zippor, who was king of Moab at the time, he sent messengers to summon Balaam, son of Beor, who was at Pethor near the Euphrates River in his native land. And Balak said, a people has come out of Egypt, and they cover the face of the land, and they've settled next to me. Now, come over here and put a curse on these people, because they're too powerful for me. Perhaps then I'll be able to defeat them and drive them out of the land, because I know that whoever you bless is blessed, and whoever you curse is cursed. This is the word of the Lord. Um, Friends, good morning. The Lord be with you. Uh, One of the things we say around our staff is that we want Trace to read everything. It doesn't matter what it is. It it could be a bunch of Hebrew names. We want Trace to read everything, so thank you for helping to bring even that spot to life for us. Um, My name's Troy. It's one of my greatest joys is to serve this church. And uh, I'm just glad to be here. Glad to be with you. Um, uh, one of the surprising learning curves of being a first-time dad, three years in now, being a first-time dad, is trying to figure out what do you do with all the things kids want and should watch. Anybody? Um, I underestimated quite a few things in this world, in this realm. I underestimated first the sheer amount of children's programming. I had no idea that there was this unbelievable amount of stuff on seemingly unending streaming options always on. I didn't realize I could never use the excuse that show isn't on because it's always on. And it can always be repeated, world without end. I didn't know. I also underestimated the number of talking animals. When I was young, my favorite cartoons were G.I. Joe and He-Man. I really liked Popeye and Batman. I know they existed, but I don't remember every show and every cartoon being animals behaving like humans. 
I don't remember that. I underestimated that. And then finally, I had no way to anticipate how much I would come to love one particular family of Australian blue healer pups. Now, let me tell you this. I'm not comfortable with animals speaking. In fact, I'll say I'm not particularly wired to like animals at all. St. Francis and I would not have been friends. We are not kindred spirits. But Bluey? Oh, Bluey. <laughs> I, I had no way of knowing. I'll say this. Sometimes Liz and I choose for Maggie that she's going to watch Bluey because we want to watch Bluey. <laughs> the way that these animals communicate that both bring me to laughter and bring me to tears inside of one episode, I had no way of anticipating that. I'll say this. I think one of the reasons that I really like the Bible is that there are not many talking animals in it. In fact, do you know there are only two? There are only two talking animals in the Bible? You're figuring it out, aren't you? The serpent in the very beginning in the Garden of Eden and the animal that is featured in today's story. But before we get to that part of the story, I want to start where Trace led us into at the very beginning of the story so that we can get some context so that we can get a grasp of this episode so we don't lose too many of the humorous, surprising bits of it. Okay, Numbers 22, that's where we're going to be this whole morning. It brings, it begins, as you heard, with a detail that helps for us to establish where we are on the Israelite timeline. Maybe this map will be helpful. They've been wandering for quite a while. This, these red lines are a bit of an estimation about where did the Israelites actually go on their wandering when they left Egypt. They've been going for quite a while, and uh, they're at the very right top. You can see, sort of see Jericho is up there. I talked about Jericho at the beginning of the summer. This is where they are now. They have made their way to the river looking at Jericho. And um, they're essentially, this is their last stop before they enter the promised land. They're going to be here for the rest of the book of Numbers. They're going to be here for all of the book of Deuteronomy. They're camped out for a while. And along the way, the people of God have been multiplying. Lots of kids, lots of animals. And this big horde, as the Scripture said, this sheer size of the crew is what terrifies all of the neighboring tribes. Can you see on the map, at the bottom right, Midian, and then sort of uh, two o'clock is Moab. See that? Those are the two uh, tribes, the regions that we're talking about in this particular story. Moab and Midian, they formed an alliance together against the Israelites. They're worried about the Israelites conquering them because they realize this group of people, they're no longer just a wandering, downcast bunch of folks. But they've developed over time into a really formidable squad and they're capable of taking down attackers. They're capable of defending themselves. And people are worried. 
And so the king of this region, of Moab, Balak, he has a plan. Balak says, I'm going to hire this cat named Balaam, and I'm going to hire Balaam to do a job for me. I'm going to hire Balaam to curse God's people. Now, a little bit about Balaam. He's a kind of mysterious guy. He doesn't show up very often, um, but people have been piecing it together, and it's generally accepted that Balaam was probably a magician. He was a seer. He was somebody who probably practiced divination. Um, But we know this. He was likely and evidently respected. People thought that he had power. Balak is asking him to speak because his words have power. Whoever Balaam blesses will be blessed. Whoever Balaam curses will be cursed. This is a respected man. He's got quite a reputation. And they're hoping that in this cursing, Maybe something will happen. Could it be that the Egyptian, the, or the Israelite people, that they will become powerless? That if they were to attack, they can't do that. Or maybe the people in Midian and Moab, they'll have a bit of a psychological boost if something does go down. So Balaam entertains the offer from Balak. But he says, I need to consult the Lord first. And so he goes away. And at night, God does communicate with Balaam, and he says, don't go with these people. But Balak, the king, he won't take no for an answer. So he comes back with a better offer. He sends more people. He sends more distinguished people. He sends bigger rewards. And Balaam, Balaam, I'm getting all of my emphasis messed up. There's going to be a lot of alliteration, Balak, Balaam. Um, Balaam says no again. In fact, he says not for all the gold, not for all the silver that Balak could offer. But you know what I will do? I'll go and ask God again. I'll go and see if God has anything else to say. And God again (laughs) speaks to him. And he tells him this time, okay, go with these officials. Accept the job, but only do what I tell you to do. And I'm assuming that Balak now is thrilled because Balaam's going to do it. The curse is coming. The threat of these Israelite people will be gone. The fears of the people of Moab and Midian will be gone. This is good news. And that brings us to the halfway point of Numbers chapter 22. And then the rest of the chapter is a caper. The rest of the chapter is a comedy. Kyle's introduced us to a comedy already this summer. We get another one. This potentially unrivaled in all of the Old Testament. You were allowed to enjoy this story. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. Balaam gets up and he heads off with the officials of Balak. But then we get this interesting detail that God is mad. God is angry that Balaam is going, even though the previous evening God told him to go. How about that? Typically understood, translated, interpreted this way, God knows Balaam's heart. And God knows that Balaam is probably going to do what Balak wants him to do, that Balaam the whole time planned to go and curse. 
And so God's angry. And so God puts on the road an angel, an angel holding a sword to try and oppose Balaam. We find out over the next couple of verses that Balaam can't see the angel, but the donkey that he's riding on can see the angel, and the donkey is paying attention. No one? The donkey is paying attention. Thank you. The donkey runs off the road trying to avoid the angel. The donkey presses real close against the wall and it crushes Balaam's foot. The donkey eventually just lays down, refusing to move because of this angel. And Balaam's, well, he's ticked. He's worked up. He's reacting. He's frustrated. He becomes violent. Says he beats the donkey twice. Third time, he beats the donkey with his staff. Now, let me stop for a second. Talk a little bit more about Balaam this character. Tradition generally agrees that Balaam, um, he probably was a part of a pagan cult, a pagan religion that focused on and practiced animal divination, the old popular animal divination. These weren't sorcerers who had the ability to change the future. These were people who could see the future and predict it. And they would do this by, they dissect animal organs and look for clues. They would pay attention to flight patterns of birds. They'd watch how animals behaved on the ground and moved as clues for what the future held. So here we find a respected seer who can't see. How about it? There's an angel of the Lord with a sword drawn in the middle of the road that the donkey can see, but the seer can't. One other thing, what does he do in animal divination? He pays attention to the movements and the behaviors of animals. He's riding on one that behaves in really unusual, strange ways. He can't see that either. The donkey is doing something that makes him frustrated, but it evidently doesn't reveal anything significant to Balaam. Balaam is a seer who can't see. And then we come to verse 28, and the Lord performs a miracle. The Lord opens the donkey's mouth. He gives the donkey the ability to speak. And the donkey wants to know a very simple question. Why are you beating me? Why does this keep happening? And Balaam... As you do, he enters into a casual conversation with a donkey, right? You have made a fool of me. If I had a sword, I would kill you right now. This is funny. Think about it. He can't divinize. He can't see the behaviors of his animal. He's talking with it now. He wants a sword. There's a sword there with the angel that he can't see. There's a lot happening in this little bit. And while Balaam is getting all worked up, this donkey is trying to reason with him. Hey, listen, Balaam. I can see you're frustrated. 
I think this donkey has had therapy. I can see you're frustrated. I see you're worked up. But you know me. I'm your donkey. We've logged a lot of miles together on these dusty roads. Have you ever seen me do anything like this before? This story is amazing. Verse 31 then tells us that the Lord opens Balaam's eyes. And he can finally see on the road this sword-bearing angel. And what happens next? Now we have another unexpected conversation. Balaam talks to the angel, as you do, right? And the angel says, what are you doing? What are you doing beating this donkey? The donkey could see me on the road. In fact, you would probably be killed. You would be dead right now if that donkey didn't try to avoid me. And then Balaam confesses, I have sinned. And whether this is a real confession or whether this is simply a man who was staring at an angel holding a sword, we don't know. What we do know is that Balaam volunteers to quit the mission. He says, if it's better, I'll just go home now, which makes a lot of sense to me. I think that would have been my reaction. After all of that, maybe I ought to just turn around. But the angel says, no, keep going. Another confirmation, keep going, but only do what you were told to do. Only speak what you were told to speak. And then this chapter ends, final scene, the king, Balak, is back, and he runs out to meet Balaam, and he's like, what took you so long? To, why is it? And Balaam, I, I picture him dejected. I picture him a little shell-shocked. A lot's happened in this scene saying, well, I'm here now, aren't I? I'm here. And then he speaks these words that are these foreshadowing words, really profound words, but I can't say whatever I please. I must speak only what God puts in my mouth. And thus ends Numbers chapter 22. Uh, Please go and read chapters 23 and 24. I'm not going to cover that in detail today, but that gives you a glimpse. What does God put in Balaam's mouth? That'll finish the story. Crazy story, yeah? I just want to offer up a couple of observations, three observations, why I think this story should matter to us. My first observation is this, please don't miss that God is the star of this story and not the talking donkey. I know our Bibles use the heading Balaam's donkey for the most part to draw the attention to that oddity, but let's don't miss that the Lord is on display in this episode, top to bottom. It's God who gives all of the power the whole time, the power to speak, the power to see. God provides an angel on the road. 
God provides even the, establishes the parameters for Balaam to be involved, to participate. God charges, Balaam's, uh, charges Balaam to go with Balak's men. God is the one who says, do what I tell you to do. Speak only what I tell you to speak. And we'll hit this again in a minute. And God, throughout these three chapters, meets with Balaam so many times. Continually establishing that it's God's wisdom, it's God's power, it's God's presence throughout. God is the star of this story, not the talking donkey. Second, I think Balaam might be a challenge for us to be on the lookout. Be on the lookout. It's fascinating to me that this man doesn't seem to be surprised by anything that happens in this story. Why, why is that? He's not surprised by what he sees, by what he hears. Balaam doesn't seem to be surprised when a donkey speaks to him. I know that not all the details are here, but you would think that would be one of them. Even when he finally sees an angel of the Lord, Balaam's reactions are pretty mild compared to most people in the Bible. But most significantly, Balaam doesn't seem to be surprised when God speaks to him. Balaam doesn't seem to be surprised by God's voice. In fact, Balaam anticipates it. Balaam expects that God is going to speak to him. Balaam tells Balak's men, tomorrow morning I'm going to give you the report of everything that God says to me tonight. On a second night, a second night he goes back to say, and I'll let you know if there's anything that God has left to say. Doesn't seem surprised that God would speak to him. How How many of us have that kind of confidence? Myself included, by the way. How many of us delay in giving a reply to somebody until we seek the Lord's advice, until we find out what does God have to say about this thing? How many of us anticipate or expect that God will actually speak to us? How many of us are on the lookout are on the lookout for God's guidance, for God's voice, for God's wisdom, for God's direction? I wonder if Balaam is a real challenge for us to be on the lookout. And then finally, I want to say that the donkey really isn't the biggest surprise in Numbers 22. I'm sorry that I keep downplaying the importance of this donkey. I'm showing my hand that I don't care about animals, right? But really, Balaam is the most surprising delivery system in this story. Now, I'll, I'll admit, the donkey being given a voice, is, is, it's a miracle, And my life wouldn't be the same 
if I encountered a donkey who spoke to me, I'll, I'll own that. But notice, notice that the donkey is given a voice, but it's not given much of a message. The donkey basically says what any beaten animal would say. Why are you beating me? It's not much of a message. In fact, I think Numbers 22 kind of normalizes the story about a donkey speaking, kind of like what C.S. Lewis does in Lion, Witch, in the Wardrobe, when he just offhandedly downplays the bad grammar of beavers, because that's just how beavers talk when they're excited. It kind of normalizes this thing. The donkey is given a voice, but the donkey is not given a significant message. But Balaam, Balaam, on the other hand, Balaam is given a significant message of promise and blessing. And Balaam, he is truly an unlikely and unexpected delivery system. Here's one scholar's take on Balaam. Balaam is altogether outside Israel's prophetic tradition. He's a foreign pagan. He believed that he had a way with the gods, a hold on him. To him, Yahweh was just another deity whom he might manipulate. Now, we could debate the hidden intentions of Balaam all we want. But what is generally historically accepted is that Balaam, Balaam was an outsider. That Balaam is a very unlikely person to be delivering a message of blessing to God's people. That Balaam doesn't make sense. And yet, Balaam isn't just He's not just an automaton. Balaam isn't just this warm body being used by God. In chapter 23, verse 16, it says this, that the Lord met with Balaam. And this this is intimacy language. That Balaam wasn't just an instrument but that God chose to be intimate with Balaam. That God God gave Balaam his presence. He didn't just take over Balaam's body like this powerful occupying force and then work through him. That God chose to meet with Balaam. And then in chapter 24, It's unbelievable the language we find here. In chapter 24, it says this, the Spirit of God came on Balaam. What? God doesn't simply give Balaam a significant message, but then God gives Balaam his spirit. The outsider 
is used by God to bless the insiders. And in the process, in the process, the outsider, Balaam, is most certainly changed. He's most certainly changed in the meeting with God. And he's most certainly changed in the receiving of the Spirit. I think the reason, one of the reasons why I can't believe this is true is that I'm doing what I'm doing right now. This doesn't make sense. This delivery system doesn't make sense. How could this be? This scene reminds me of the very end of Matthew's gospel. Chapter 28, after Jesus has risen, the 11 disciples, they're gathered together where Jesus told them to go. And this is the part that we know is the Great Commission, where Jesus says, go and, and baptize and teach and make disciples. But before he says that, there's this one little sentence in Matthew's gospel, this little detail. When they saw him, they worshiped him. But some doubted. Jesus, who has all the authority in heaven and on earth, willingly shares that authority with a group of people that is made up of some people who doubt. God continues to make use of and God continues to include in the work of restoration unusual, unexpected delivery systems. Thanks be to God. So many people surprisingly included. God is so committed God is so committed to ensuring that the message of blessing is preserved and proclaimed that Balaam and some doubting disciples, they get included. And just like Balaam, who was gifted with the Spirit of God, these disciples are assured, surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. And by extension, by extension, you and I, we are invited and we are included. You and I are unexpected delivery systems of blessing and hope. And I know that some of us feel like donkeys. I know that some of us feel like doubters. But we are like Balaam and these simple disciples 
promised God's presence through the Spirit. And then we are called to go. To go. To do what God tells us to do. To speak what God says to speak. But nonetheless, go. Go tell the story so that all might be blessed. And so on this Transfiguration Sunday, may you be confident. Be confident that you will, we will be changed in the telling. That you will, that we will be changed in the going. That we will be changed through and by the power of God that we will be caught up in this divine life, that we will be made with ever-increasing glory into the image of Jesus, the one who promises to never leave us, to never forsake us. Thanks be to God. How about this for an unusual delivery system? How about this for a way of communicating to us that we will not be left alone? How about this as a way of communicating to us that the love of God is beyond our ability to ask or imagine? Let's receive this with gladness and let's receive this as power as we go. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. And let us give thanks to the Lord our God. So we pray in a spirit of thanksgiving. Holy and right and good it is at all times and in all places to give thanks to you. God, the creator of heaven and earth. So we join our voices with the angels and the archangels and all of the company of heaven, forever surrounding your throne, singing this hymn of praise to bring glory to your name. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. So Holy Spirit, would you make of these elements for us spiritual food? Would they be both encouragement and nourishment as we go? Would these be reminders that we have been invited and called into partnering with you to see all things be put back together? And would you remind us as we doubt that you will be with us? Be with us in an undeniable way in this bread and this cup. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus was eating with his disciples. And he took bread and he broke it. And he gave it to them and he said, take and eat this. For this is my body broken for you.
In a similar way, he took the cup and he blessed it. And he said, this cup is the new covenant, the new promise sealed in my blood. So whenever you take this bread and you take this cup, you eat and you drink, you tell this story yet again. That we not only take the story into us, this unusual delivery system, but we become that delivery system yet again, telling this great story of God's love for all people. And it's a story that we can summarize in these simple phrases, simple but yet still a mystery. We speak it together. Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will. So in these next couple of minutes, eat and drink and pray and sing. You can come to be served here, these tables and these other spots, all of them with allergen-free elements. There'll be people ready and willing to be present with you, to pray with you. You can put a prayer into the prayer walls. You can sing with us. In these next couple of minutes, let's be reminded of this great love of God who calls us to continually tell and live out the story. So come and receive who you are, the body of Christ.